Hello. Welcome back. So we're closing in on the end. I'm going to try and finish it all in this part. We'll see if that works. Uh, I forgot to mention in the car accident I had broken some ribs. So that and whatever happened to my head, they never actually checked it. After bending the steering column and steering wheel and everything in my face, I had a huge knot on my head. So I got to do a little flashback, just because it becomes important soon. Back when I lived with my brother, my father got remarried. Now, the weird thing is, when I was growing up and in high school and partying, there were there was mainly one girl I hung out with. Another one started to hang out with us more and more. And that's whose mother my father married. So my friends became my sisters. There was three of them. And they were more like sisters than stepsisters, so I don't refer to them as stepsisters. So that'll be very relevant in a little bit. So the anxiety was hitting hard. I was having panic attacks all the time. I also ended up getting... Well, the depression, of course, was starting to rear its ugly head again. I was start or uh, at one point I actually got SARS. This has nothing to do with depression or anxiety, but uh, we lived on the second floor, and I started getting winded going up the steps. This is when SARS was going around, and I didn't know why. So I eventually went to the doctor because I was having trouble breathing, and they put me on an asthma inhaler. You know, I never had asthma. So I was using that. And I think I only used it for like a day. Because I was using it. I could go up the stairs. I had to get winded. I'd, you know, I'd puff on the inhaler. I had a friend who had asthma. Show me like how to use it good. I think if I remember correctly, I had one of those big tubes on the end too. You spray into it and then you shake it or something. Or you shake it, you spray it, and then you puff it. Something like that. I don't remember. But I used it for about a day, because the second day, I woke up in the middle of the night, couldn't breathe, I tried using the inhaler, and then I stopped breathing. So, I was rushed to the hospital. That's when they basically told me I had SARS, and they didn't really have a treatment that they knew worked exactly. So they did something they called, the doctor said he called it a shotgun method. He was going to hit me with... Something for upper respiratory infection and something, an antibiotic or something else. I don't know. It was two huge, like, doses of something. Either way, it worked. I was able to breathe again. So at one point, you know, I'm having trouble working now. I end up uh, quitting. I was good at quitting jobs after about a year. But we were home, and my ex was in the kitchen cooking just a frozen pizza. 
and she was starting to have depression. Not like what I had, more like a temporary type depression. But I'm out on the couch, and I hear a, a noise, then kind of like a thump. Then I hear her uh, crying hysterically. So I go running down the hallway to check on her. She's on the floor crying. And I sit down next to her. You know, I'm holding her. I'm asking her what's wrong. I'm trying to calm her down. When she finally calms down, she says she dropped the pizza. And I'm like, okay, don't worry about it. And she couldn't stop crying. And uh, she looks up at me. And she says, is this what you feel like every day? I said, yeah, pretty much. And she says, like, I'm so sorry. And she's hugging me back. And, you know, she eventually calms down. And she got better. I did not get better. So, you know, we're living there for a while. Still having the little parties. Our neighbors, because my friends end up moving next door. And that's when I met one of my best friends who is actually doing the music for my podcasts. Um, we start to argue more and more. And there's an instant where, like, my brother's girlfriend will ask my ex if she has plans. And she'll tell her, yeah, I have plans at a certain time with me, of course. And... She'll ask her if she wants to go somewhere real quick. And then she'll purposely keep her out past the time our plans are supposed to happen. And this keeps happening again and again and again and again. And eventually we get into a huge fight over it. And um, I find out that she mentioned once to my ex, how, why did you get the good one? Because my brother was an abusive asshole. So she was kind of trying to mess things up. And we started getting into arguments, and we got into a big argument that day. And I was getting frustrated, and I threw my hat on the couch. And that's all I did. You know, we were arguing. And my ex looks at me and says, what are you going to do, hit me next? And I lost it. Don't worry, I didn't hit her. I've never once raised a hand. I grab my hat. I leave the apartment for several hours. Um, eventually things calm down. Since I can't work, I, I put a coffee pot in the computer room. And I start staying up late at night. Teaching myself to code. Teaching myself more techniques with Photoshop. Anything I can to kind of improve myself so when I get better, I can find a job. Um... We end up breaking up. I actually broke up with her at this point. After seven years. It was just too much to handle. And I felt like I couldn't be myself. Like everything of mine had to be stuffed in the computer room. And the rest of the apartment just wasn't me. And like I mentioned before. I don't do good with getting restrictions. I just tend to have to fight back. So we end up separating. I move back with my father. Um, I meet a girl shortly after. Kind of like her. Um, 
I meet her through some friends. One of the friends doesn't like that we're seeing, I guess, because they're friends. And he ruins that. And, you know, I was still going to shows and stuff, and I was at one show. And since I knew everybody in the clubs, even with my anxiety, it didn't act up at shows because I felt at home. I knew everybody. I felt safe. So I'm walking around, you know, sort of, you know, kind of like I own the place because I know everybody. I'm just walking around talking to people. I see someone I, you know, relatively know sitting at a table with some his friends. And I go running across the club, jump in the air and twist, land on my ass on the table and slide backwards across the table up against the wall, fold my legs and start talking to my friend. One of his friends, a female, was on the other side of the table. And she's kind of weird. You'll find out more about that soon. So I didn't really talk to her or the other ones. I talked to the two I knew. And then I went on with the rest of the night, watched the bands, went home. I end up switching from night classes to day classes, and I take a short break. I took a semester off. Um... Now that girl, the weird girl that was at the table, I said, apparently she was interested in me in that moment, and I never knew. But eventually, my friend I was talking to introduced me to her. We ended up dating for about a month until she went crazy. We were in her room. I don't remember exactly what happened. But there was no fighting or anything. I said something. I said like fuck about something. Like what the fuck. Kind of like that. She flips out at me because I swore. Now she swears all the time. I swore all the time. It's nothing new. I wasn't swearing at her or insulting her or being mean. But she flips out. And she's screaming at me. And I try and leave and she blocks the door. So I sit down my arms on my knees I sit there with my head down while she's screaming at me for seriously about three hours she's just screaming at me one or two times I tried getting up and like if, you, if you've ever been to like a concert or a, a show like I was going to if you want to get through the crowd you put your hands on someone's soul, like shoulder and you gently push you don't shove them you just kind of tap them say you want to go by well, I did that. I got up. I, you know, I kind of tapped her on the shoulder, implying I want to go out the door. I want to leave. She wouldn't let me, so I sat back down. Kept getting screamed at. Eventually, she moves and says something like, "If you want to go, go." So I grabbed my windbreaker. Um, I think I had my rollerblades there. I grab my rollerblades. I go out to the car. I leave. I find out shortly after, she always wanted to be part of the scene. And she just didn't really fit in. So she started using... I find out basically she wanted to date me because she wanted me to kind of pull her into the scene. And it didn't work out. You know, I broke up with her that night after we left. Like, yeah, not doing this. So it turns out she started going to shows and telling people... Like, they'd ask where I was because they saw us together a few times. And she would say, oh, we're not together anymore. He beat the shit out of me. 
Well, this was her plan to get into the shows, and it backfired horribly because the people she was telling would look at her and go, look, we don't know Chris personally, but we know him from the show, and we know his friends, and we know for a fact he would never do that. Get the fuck out of here. So she was pretty much blacklisted from every show at every club within a 40-minute range. And finally, I kept talking to her online, not to get back together or anything, with the intention of getting her to say exactly what happened that night. And I said, why are you telling people I hit you? I never touched you. Yeah, you did. No, I never touched you. I never, ever raised my hand towards a girl. You did hit me. I'm like, when did I hit you? When you got up to leave, you grabbed your windbreaker, and it swung and it brushed against me. I'm like, thank you. I'm going to print this out and keep it with me. And then I stopped talking to her again. So that, that was the whole abuse incident. Apparently my, my jacket brushed her as I was leaving. So um, me and my ex start hanging out again. She's coming up to my father's house. We're hanging out. She's out spending the night. Um, we're starting to get back together. You know, I explained to her the reasons why I left. We worked it out. Then, and I'm still going to school too, so, but she's working. Then she gets pregnant. Now, we've never had a scare, never had a close call, nothing before, and suddenly she's pregnant. So she comes home. She was sick for a little while. She went to the doctor, came home, handed me the paper. And, you know, doctor's handwriting, you can't read it. So I'm at the computer doing something. Maybe I think I was doing something with 3D modeling because part of what I did in college. I look at the paper, and I can't read the handwriting. It's a doctor's handwriting. All I see is P. So I'm like, oh, you got pneumonia? I'm like, oh, that sucks. Pneumonia's a bastard because I've had it a couple times in my life. She says, uh, no, read it again. And I look at it, and I'm like, you're pregnant? She's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. That's it? I'm like, well, we know the risks. She's like, you're not mad? I'm like, why would I be mad? We know the risks. And she said, well, should we, you know, should we tell anybody? I'm like, it's up to you. I'm like, what do you want to do? So she said, let's, let's think about it for like a day. So we thought about it, and obviously we didn't want to do the other route, you know, an abortion. We knew the risks. We were in our probably early 20s. So, you know, we, we take care of everything. You know, we let our family know that I'm having a baby. Well, she's having a baby. I'm a father. Um... The panic attacks keep getting worse. The depression keeps getting worse. The panic attacks are getting so bad that I literally think I'm dying like almost every night. And every time I feel weird, I run to the mirror and I look and my pupils are dilated at different sizes, which someone once told me is only happens if you're dead. So that was in my head, so that made it worse. I'd get weird things like one time I think I, I swear I felt something moving in my brain like an air bubble or a bug crawling over my brain. It's the kind of stuff anxiety does. Anxiety 
it's almost like it's your brain attacking you or your mind. It knows all your fears and it uses your fears against you. And it's just, it's like its own evil entity that just tries to destroy you. That with the depression, just a horrible combo. So I'm having lots of panic attacks. I'm thinking I'm having heart attacks at night and I'm going to the ER almost every other night. They can't find anything wrong with me. I eventually get myself back to therapy. I found a a therapist and psychiatrist pretty close, about a 30-minute drive, and I started seeing them. And that lasted for about two years, I think, I was seeing them. And my therapist was amazing. She couldn't figure out what was wrong. So we literally went through every possible thing she could think of to try and help me. From guided meditation to just talking things out. She's the first one I ever told about when I was molested as a kid, but she's also the one that said, oh, it was this kid's experimenting, so that was kind of a slap in the face. Um, we were doing weird stuff like crossing chakras and tapping nerve points. Nothing seemed to work. The psychiatrist was working the med angle, and he kept giving me different meds and... None would like if one would work a little bit, but not much. He'd add another one. If they weren't working, he'd switch to something else. We eventually found out that um, clonopin helped with the anxiety. Uh, one time, I went to the hospital. I was freaking out, and they gave me Ativan. And it was the first time in my life. That I can remember, except for when I was a kid, but I don't, you know, I don't remember how I felt at times back then. That my head was perfectly clear, the thoughts would stop. I felt great, um, but just for that night. Um, from what I understand, Ativan's the lowest. Then there's Xanax, and then Clonopin. So I was on Clonopin after that, and it worked pretty good. Not at first. There's also tons of other medications mixed in. I don't. I can't even tell you all of them. You know, I ended up graduating. We had my graduation party. And like I said, there's a side of the family I don't talk to. They were there. I didn't want to invite them, but they made me. So they were there. And my uncle, he married my aunt, who's actually my blood relative. He just married into the family. She married into his family, I guess it's considered. But whatever. He shows up. You know, they're there. And he's like, oh, so what'd you get? What's your degree? I said, I got a associate's degree in IT and um, computer graphics and the multimedia. He's like, an associate's degree? I'm like, yeah. He's like, why the fuck are we even here then? I'm like, look, your kid's barely even fucking graduated high school. Get the fuck out of here if you don't want to be here. So... I'm pretty sure they left. (laughs) Um, Trying to keep things in order in my mind. So I'm back in therapy. There's still the occasional ER trip now. Not as bad. Um, When my ex is pretty close to going into labor, there's one point where we had to rush to the ER. Because 
she was really, really sick. And we get to the ER. And we find out she's super dehydrated. Like, to the point where they couldn't even get a needle in the vein. The veins were all, like, you know, tiny, shrinking up, I guess, is what happens when you dehydrate. They actually ask me to leave the room so they can talk to her. Now, I know what they're asking her. If she's being abused. So I go out, I get her water. I come back. The nurse says, okay, well, you know, we're done. We'll get you an IV and all this other stuff. Right when she leaves, my ex starts laughing. She's like, they asked me if you abused me. I'm like, yeah, that's my form of abuse. I just don't give you water. And we were like laughing about it a bit. So when she's getting close to delivery time, my daughter kept flipping. Like she'd go upside down, turn around, get facing the wrong way. So the dates for pregnancy kept changing a little bit. But anyway, we end up having to leave my father's house. We have to move back to live with my mother. I don't remember if she was clean at this point. I know my stepfather had passed away from alcohol. And it really messed her up for a while. And then she met a new guy and it seemed like things were going good. They had an extra room. They took us in. Um, not too long after my ex goes to take a shower and she comes out she's usually pretty quick about it but she's longer and longer in the bathroom and then she tells me her her water broke you know, they were waiting for my daughter to flip again and if she didn't flip by a certain point they were going to do a c-section and we already had it scheduled well a couple days early we had to go and do a c-section because she was going into labor. So this is a hard thing to say because I feel horrible that I even thought this. So my daughter's born. She was slightly jaundiced, so they had to put her under like, I always called it to grow lights for like an hour. It wasn't long. She was all the other than that, she was healthy. I had to change her first diaper, which was gross because it was like black tar. <laughs> um, but this is supposed to be like the happiest moment in your life, right? And I was. I was happy. I had a beautiful baby girl. But in my mind, my depression and anxiety was saying, like kind of laughing at me saying, ha, huh, now you're stuck. Because I always said the out of suicide. Like now you don't have suicide. You are stuck. And that kind of depressed me, even though I was happy about my daughter. Um, so we lived with my mother for a little bit longer. I'm kind of become the stay-at-home dad because I can't work. And we have to move again. My mother tells us we have to move out. So we end up moving in with my ex's stepfather down the road back in Mechanicville. I lived with my father again. It was in Berlin. My mom was back in Mechanicville. So we had to move a few blocks away. And her stepfather took us in. He had a decent-sized apartment, two extra rooms. We turned one into a baby's room, turned one into our bedroom. We took the smallest one. And, like, literally the bed 
almost touched the TV stand. So she had a new job. I was still doing the stay-at-home dad thing. Actually, during that time is when I got invited to join a cult. So I smoked cigarettes. And if my if my ex's... I don't even know what he'd be considered. He was a stepfather, but then her mother left him. So he'd be like, an ex-stepfather? I don't know. He's the one who took us in. He was a relatively nice guy. And I never had a problem with him. We always got along. He was always on a computer trying to like meet girls. So if he was home, I would go out on the front porch and have a cigarette. If he wasn't home, I would take my daughter out on the front porch um, you know those little bouncy seats you strap them in and they can kind of it's like just a metal wire frame with a cushioned seat and they can bounce so I'd bring her out on the porch and I would walk out to the sidewalk and face her so I could make sure nothing happened you know she was usually sleeping half the time but she'd be happy in the fresh air and bouncing and I'd make sure I was you know far enough away where no smoke would ever go near her but I could get to her if I had to so I'd walk to the end of our sidewalk out of our house to the main sidewalk and stand there well one day i was out there smoking my daughter wasn't out there but a guy approached me and he had pamphlets and i thought oh god because they, they'd always come up to the door with religious pamphlets trying to convert us and i'm like i i don't want to get converted and he starts talking to me about religion and my beliefs and asking me what I do. And I'm, you know, I still think he's just a church guy. I'm like, oh, I'm a stay-at-home father. You know, things like that. And then he starts telling me how, basically up around where I went to therapy, because at this point it was like an hour drive, they had a compound or a farm they all lived on and the guys all slept in one building the women in another building and the children in another building and he mentions how they have like means of protection and i'm just like my in my head i'm just like oh shit it's a cult <laughs> so they're actually still around and they've been in trouble quite a bit for child labor laws like taking all the kids and making them work like make candles or something to sell. And I think they're still around up in New York. But yeah, they tried recruiting me. I, t I, you know, I said, I'll take the pamphlet. So I'd get them to leave and then I just, you know, showed my ex, we kind of laughed about it and we threw it out. Never saw them again, thankfully. So, you know, the depression's bad. The anxiety's bad. I'm still seeing my therapists and stuff. Um, they end up putting me, you know, they're still cycling medications, trying to figure out what will stop and help me. At one point, they put me on a, a Prozac. So usually when you get a medication, a mental health medication, I don't know if it's the same nowadays, but back then it was about seven days till your system was saturated. Well, literally, right when I hit saturation point, or the day before or the day after, the Prozac made things a hundred times worse. The thoughts were, like, before I had racing thoughts, but it was like 
the thoughts were on cocaine. They were just speeding around my head so fast I couldn't control what I was thinking. I was freaking out. I started punching myself in the head to try and stop the voices. Not voices, the thoughts. I never had voices. I could not stop the thoughts. And I got rushed to the ER. They kept me there until my system was clean. And they put me on Wellbutrin instead of Prozac. Same thing happened. Crazy thoughts. I couldn't control what I was thinking. I was freaking out. I started smacking myself in the head, trying to make it stop. Back to the ER. Back to inpatient. Get me off Wellbutrin. Get me on something else. I don't really remember most of the medication's names. I remember Prozac and Wellbutrin because I was told to always list them as an allergy. That way nobody ever gets anything in the family close to me. Recently at a hospital thing, I wrote them down and they said, well, what, what kind of allergic reaction do you have? And I told them, like, that's not an allergic reaction. You don't need to put it. Like, I was told to put it. So you guys don't accidentally give me any of that stuff. So they, they you know, a little mini argument, and they let me keep it on my forms. So I started going back to Four Winds at this point, but outpatient. So they had a meeting point at the McDonald's parking lot, and it was an unmarked van. They said, you know, look for this color van with a ribbon tied on the antenna. So Four Winds became an outpatient place, unless you were an addict. So I'd go there for like four hours, get dropped back off. You know, I was doing everything I could to try and get better. It just wasn't helping. Now, another one of my best friends, just like Ed, he's more like a brother than a friend, moved nearby. So my daughter was, you know, starting to get going to school and stuff, which it was sad her first day of school. You know, I'd been with her every day growing up. And now I got to let her go off and, you know, trust someone else to look after her till she came home. And I have a picture of her first day of school. She looked so adorable. So a friend moved nearby, you know, literally like a block away. Like I was on one corner. I walk across the road. He's on the other corner. So I get my daughter on the bus. We'd hang out in the morning. You know, they'd have their coffee and stuff. We'd hang out. If we had free time, we'd play some games. Sometimes I'd hang out all day until my ex was coming home or my daughter was getting out of school. At this point, a little bit before this point, I started applying for disability before I actually left my father's. But it kept going and going and going for obviously a few years. And I ended up having to get a lawyer. We ended up going and discussing it with my lawyers and everything. And my doctor, the one that was like my psychiatrist, the one that was at my father's house 30 minutes away when I was in Mechanicville, an hour away, he ends up screwing me over with the disability. He writes on the forms that my condition's not that bad because I went to the movies two years before. Yeah, we went to see Spider-Man in the theater Thankfully, there was only like four other people in the theaters because I had a panic attack. That's what he used to say I was fine. 
So they end up, the state ends up classifying me as fully disabled. But they refuse to give me full disability. They give me partial disability payments. So I think I was getting like $400 a month, which it did help. Um, now, I mentioned earlier about my father getting remarried and how it was going to become a, a big thing. So, I'm sitting home one night and I get a phone call. Now, I had three stepsisters. One's older, one was my age, one's younger. I get a phone call. I can't remember if it was, I think it was my father, to tell me my sister died. And I just lose it. I'm freaking out. You know, I grew up with these girls. You know, they were sisters. They weren't stepsisters. I don't know what happened. I don't get it. I don't understand it. They said it was a suicide. We found out later on there was a lot more details to it. And it was a, she was murdered. That's the way it looks. Everything points to murder, not suicide. Suicide notes written not in her handwriting. Um, the guy she was staying with, the cops were already looking at him for another incident identical to this. You know, she was a she went through addictions multiple asshole boyfriends she was getting she was clean now she was getting a life straight out Christmas was coming she was so excited because she had all the pre every she was able to buy all the presents that her son wanted everything he asked for she was like super excited for Christmas she reconnected with an old boyfriend one that was nice that I think she messed things up with. He was actually a really good guy, I understand. Or from what I understand. So she was happy. She was looking forward to life, finally. And she was taken from us. I, I just lost it. Shortly after that, because I'm, this that really pushed the depression and the anxiety and everything even farther. Shortly after that, my parents, the reason we had to leave my father's house was because they were going to move. They ended up moving to Florida. They wanted me and my ex and my daughter to move to Florida because they wanted me nearby because it was getting so bad. They wanted to be able to watch me and check on me and everything else. So we end up moving to Florida. A few months before that, I was taking an air conditioning out of the window and I hurt my back. When it came time to move, 
I couldn't feel the toes of my right foot. And everybody thought I was just saying that to get out of helping pack and load the truck. I was helping pack. I couldn't carry stuff. So we get to Florida. My back gets worse. We have to live with my father for about a year. Me, my ex, my daughter in a little bedroom in the back. My back gets worse and worse and worse and worse to the point where I'm in constant pain. I can't really walk. I still, you know, I'm still a smoker at that point in time. So I would kind of roll out of bed to the floor, crawl through the house, out to the back porch where we smoked, and lay on the back porch floor all day. And I wouldn't even smoke much. It was like two cigarettes. It just hurt to do anything. If I had to go to the bathroom, I would have to roll up towels and stack them on the toilet seat so I could sit without bending my back too much. One point, I had to go to the bathroom because I had to go to the bathroom in like two weeks. It was like chugging prune juice and eating prunes and taking laxatives. You guys probably don't want to hear all this. Just so I can go to the bathroom and get everything out. I end up going to the hospital. Not because, not going to the bathroom, because of the back pain. Um, sorry, I'm kind of thinking about my sister. So I go to the hospital. They scan my back. The doctor has me sitting up at one point, and they got that little mallet they tap your knees with. You know, uh, Get your uh, reaction so he taps my left knee my left leg kicks taps my right knee nothing happens taps my left knee my left leg kicks taps my right knee nothing happens like is it okay if i try a little harder like go ahead can't feel it anyway couldn't feel my right leg anymore so he hits it harder nothing hits it harder nothing happens really whacks it nothing happens that's when i said doing the scans they find out I herniated my disc. It was crushing my sciatic nerve. He's looking at me and he's like, how have you gone this long with this much pain? He's like, I have never seen somebody be able to handle this this goddamn long. I've never heard a doctor even swear. So he said, goddamn long. I was like, what? And, uh, I'm like, I don't know, I have a pretty high pain threshold. He's like, I fucking guess so. Like, I've never seen anybody able to do this. So they leave to check all the, you know, to do whatever doctors do. They're going to come back in a few minutes to let me know the plans. Um, something else I was going to add in there, and I can't really remember it. Oh. Because of my anxiety, I won't let a doctor give me a medication without telling me what it is and explaining it. Um, when we were still in New York in Mechanicville, I would go to the same drugstore all the time, and I would talk to the pharmacist. And she, she got to know me. She understood my condition. So if I went in to, say, get my Klonopin and the pills had changed, 
she would hold the bottle and she'd say, Chris, it's the same medication. It's a different provider. The color's different. The shape's different. But it's the same medication. It's okay to take it. And because she knew how bad it was. And anytime any kind of medication changed, she would make sure she let me know. Any new medication, I would give my ex the paperwork to read the side effects. Because if I read the side effects, the anxiety would make sure I had them. If she read the side effects, if I felt weird, I could say something and she would let me know if it was actually a side effect or not. So um, this relates to the doctor in a minute. So they come out. Uh, actually, the doctor doesn't come out. The, the male nurse that's helping him comes out. And he's like, I have to give you this. And before I can ask what it is, he puts the needle in the IV. I don't remember what it's called. It looked milky, like a milky liquid. He injects it into me. I'm like, what was that? Because I need to know stuff before they do it. I'm going to freak out. He's like, don't worry. It's a, you know, for pain. It's 10 times stronger than morphine. Like, but what is it? What is it? I need to know. What is it? And he told me the name. I can't remember it. Doctor comes back out a few minutes later. I don't feel anything anymore. No pain, no nothing. He starts asking me questions and he looks at me. He's like, and I'm just like kind of like drugged up. I'm like, just got a smile on my face. He's trying to talk to me and I'm trying to talk back. He's like, you know what? I'll talk to her. And he goes over. And he asked my ex all the questions because I was just out of it. The stuff worked so good, I was able to get up and walk out of that hospital without any pain. And they scheduled surgery within a uh, couple days. That's how bad it was. It was like within a day or two I was in there. And that painkiller kept the pain away until then. Ever since then, it's been kind of hit or miss with my back. I'll get it all fixed up really good. Nothing hurts anymore. I can go out for walks. Tried jogging once, but that was a little much on my back. <laughs> Even when it feels good, it doesn't feel good to jog. You know, um, it, like eventually the pain was just gone. I was doing really good. I could go for walks. I could do stuff around the house. I didn't have to worry about you know, picking something up or bending over. Uh, at one point down here, I had so many meds. It was like a handful every morning. Just different meds, different vitamins, all these different things they had me on. Um, me and my ex start to drift apart. This time, her, not me. Uh, her, uh, when we first moved down here, we ended up getting our... I said we lived with my father for a year, but then we ended up getting our own house. And uh, unfortunately, and fortunately, it's next door to my father. Good sometimes, bad sometimes. It's still kind of a... We get along most of the time now, but it's still kind of touchy. With my family, things are always really touchy. It's like perfect balance of you do what they say or things get bad <laughs> so not really a balance um but you know we started drifting apart again when we first moved to this house her brother moved in 
to get out of New York away from his mother after he graduated high school. So we take him in. For a year, he does nothing. Brings dishes to his room to eat, never brings them out. He'll come out. If I have a new video game, he'll take it before I even get to see it and start playing it. It just, tension starts building. Her parents get pissed off at me because I'm trying to tell him to do stuff. Look, you got to get up. You got to shower. Bring your plates out. Help out a little bit. So that added to the tension between me and my ex. So she comes up to me one day and says she wants a, uh, a divorce. And I'm like, um, okay. I didn't know what to say. It didn't even hit me at first. Like, okay. So, like, I'm going to go do what I was going to do today. I'll be back. So I head out to GameStop. I had a game waiting for me. Still hasn't sunk in what she even said. I get home. Not proud of this. It hit hard on the way home. It hit real hard. Depression, anxiety all kicked in over time because of it. There's something I'm going to mention about depression too. Or anxiety after this bit. So people can kind of understand it better maybe. So I come home. I'm sitting in the bedroom. Kind of freaking out. Crying. I don't know what to do. I have nothing. I can't work. They cut my disability payments down to $80 a month. So I get up. I also had to get my medication filled that day. So I got, you know, I had my meds filled. Okay, I think I have three different bottles at this point. I finally got weaned off of stuff because it was too much in my system. It was like it wasn't doing anything anyway, so I took some of it out. So I get up. I go in. I sit with my daughter for a minute. I give her a hug and a kiss, tell her I love her. As I, I do that all the time anyway. I go back to the bedroom. I open up my fresh bottle of pills. I have a cup of water. And I take the whole bottle. Shortly after, I'm out of it in the bed. My ex comes in to tell me she's going to work. And she sees what's going on. She sees the empty pill bottle. She starts screaming at me. You know I have to go to work. Can't believe you would do this. She calls. I was in a hospital once already down here. We actually got me Baker acted so they would have to take me. But this time... Ambulance shows up. I'm just kind of standing there. I don't know what the hell's going on. Things are moving on the floor that aren't actually moving on the floor. I'm like drooling. They get me an ambulance. 
they rushed me to the hospital. I don't really remember much at this point. I know they stuck all these electrodes on me. My ex was standing above me while I was in the bed. She looked at me. I could see tears in her eyes. She gave me a kiss on the forehead and said goodbye. I don't remember the next day or two. I was in and out. I had all these machines hooked up to me. Um, when I finally came to, I had to have a nurse sitting next to me. Pretty much 24-7. I keep falling apart. I keep losing it. She finally persuades me to eat. She's trying to keep me calm. She was she was really nice. They end up transferring me once I'm stable and everything's out of my system to another inpatient place. This one had another amazing social worker, by the way. One day I'm in there with my social worker and he says, Chris, you're 30 whatever now. I don't remember how old I was. Let me try and think. We got divorced in 2016. We got separated in 2015. So, 34, 35. Something like that. He said, Chris, you're in your 30s now. Isn't it time to man up? What? <laughs> yeah, that, that was my social worker. So, I'm allowed to come back home if... I can stay at my father's. And they want to make sure he doesn't have any guns or anything in the house. Now my father's pissed off. That I'm over there. He gets in my face screaming at me one day. Just get over it. She doesn't love you anymore. It's over. It's time to move on. Two weeks after we separated. Before the divorce. Finally, after two days, I get back home. Um, we, my ex sends my daughter away. Back up to New York to her family for the summer. My ex comes home two more nights. And then she stops coming home. Her brother's still living here. At this point. My daughter's not here, so I don't have anything to try and hold on to, you know? I go in my room. Just got my meds filled. My new meds. I take two bottles. I figured one bottle didn't do it. Two bottles will do it. Well, I figured one bottle almost did it. Two bottles will definitely do it. It didn't. I woke up a day later. And I'm like, look, if I can't even take myself out, better get my shit together. Freaking out still, though. I don't know what to do. Um, I eventually, after like probably a month or two, I don't even know. And my daughter's back down here. Her brother had moved back in with us. We were on better terms. He actually stepped up and took care of the bills because I couldn't work. But I started looking for jobs. I went through a couple 
It didn't last very long. One was like a FedEx, lasted a couple months. It was just, it was a bad job. And they pushed you till you broke. At one point, I hurt my back. Not bad enough that I couldn't walk that day, though. And they kept me working. I ran into someone I worked with there a while later, probably a year or more. She remembered me. And she's like, hey, you're not, are you at FedEx anymore? I'm like, no. She's like, yeah, me either. She's like, Nobody from our crew is. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, every single person on our crew, they pushed their backs were messed up. None of them are working there anymore. So don't be a truck unloader or loader, you know, there. Um, I went to another job at a call center doing tech support for a cell phone company, a big one, one of the top three or four. I suck. I suck so bad at the job because you never know what you're going to get asked. I can take your phone and I can fix it. I'm good with that kind of stuff. But when you're getting questions that you don't know, like one time I got a call saying, you know, I live in America, but I, for work I drive right along the border to Mexico. Am I going to get charged international fees? That one I could answer. I said, no, because Mexico is on the, your plan. Don't worry about it. One time a girl called. She, I think she was from France, foreign exchange or something. She was going to go back home for a little while. She wanted to cancel her account. I'm like, okay. So, well, will I be able to come back after? I'm like, yeah, your account's all in good standing and everything. You just you know, turn your phone off. She's like, do it, you know, if I don't want to, you know, close it out, can I just keep paying it? Just, you know, the basically like the, uh, the fees for the phone and not the service. And I said, yes, we can do that. I'm like, how long are you going to be gone? And it was going to be for a while. I'm like, you might just want to, you know, shut it down. Um, they told me that I can't say that. I got to keep them paying for their account. And there's lots of questions that don't make sense. And all the training they give you doesn't help. Basically, what you do when you call tech support, the person on the other end is basically using a search engine to see if they can help you. When it came to the technical stuff, I could help people. When it came to accounts and all that other stuff, I didn't know what was going on. That's what most of the questions were. So I went to quit the job. I had to hold up this little piece of paper every single phone call to get help. So they come over, and you know, I told them I wanted to quit, or I was going to quit. And they're like, but you're really good. Please stay. I'm like, I am not good. I can't answer any of these questions. They said, look, it, there's a difference, though. You are amazing with the people you talk to. You can calm people down. You can de-escalate things easily. The other part, you can learn. Nobody can answer these questions in the beginning. You, get, you never know what you're going to get asked. I'm like, yeah, but I don't like that. <laughs> so I leave. I end up getting a job, another job, and then another job. I stayed at the other one until I had another job, though. I didn't, like, leave like I left the call center. 
but I was getting like some days my paycheck would be like 25 bucks for like two weeks of work because I only worked like an hour or well, a few hours doing inventory. But depression is still pretty damn bad. Before work one day, I'm just laying in bed crying and I'm looking at my phone. I'm trying to find a shooting range that lets you use one of their guns while you're there. And I'm specifically looking for a shooting range that allows you to target shoot with a shotgun with slugs. So I was looking for another way out, basically. I end up calling a suicide hotline. I talk to them for a bit. I mentioned I have to go to work. And they're like, well, that's good. You know, you still got the job. So, you know, keep going. It didn't help. So, I wake up one morning, and the depression's gone. I was, you know, I was freaking out because I didn't have insurance, medication's getting low. I was breaking my clonopins down into like eighths of pills, everything I could to try and drag it out so I could figure out what to do. And I woke up, and the depression was I should say almost gone because I still have a tiny bit, not full depression. I just have tough days. It was gone. I don't know why. Didn't make any sense. The anxiety was gone. Didn't make any sense. I still am on clonopin to this day, only for as needed. Sometimes some days are more overwhelming and I can take a half of one or a full one. Lately, I've been just doing one every morning just to keep things steady. I'm supposed to take, I can take two a day, basically whatever I need. So like, you know, a month's supply lasts me two to three months. And it didn't make any sense. How could I be struggling for over 25 years and wake up and not need to take any more medication? How is it all gone? And, you know, this is why I was saying at the beginning that it has a good ending I can now see the light at the end of the tunnel. There is a bit weird thought in my head of why this may have gone away. And you might laugh about this. Everybody, I don't care. Just, if you want to laugh, laugh. So I started using this app called, I'm not going to mention it. I started using this pen pal app <laughs> to talk to people around the world. You know, it, I just stumbled on it. I was talking to people. I was feeling better. I was meeting different people all over the world. I ended up meeting a girl from Singapore. Things kind of clicked really, really good with us. We would talk, you know, she knew about my history. We talked about everything. I kind of became an open book. There's a reason for that. I forgot to mention before, but I'll explain that too before we leave. So upon talking to her, I find out that she was in a very bad relationship. I'm not going to go into the details because that's not my life to talk about. We were doing, you know, we kind of started like long distance dating. I find out more and more about her past. I find out that 
she managed to get up the courage to leave the bad relationship after nine years. And she told me when she left. Oddly, the day she got herself free was the same with a couple days of when all my depression and anxiety left. Like, that's kind of a weird coincidence. You get free and get rid of all your pain and all my pain goes away. There's also an incident that happened when I was younger. I think, I can't remember exactly how old I was. I was like 20. And she sent me some pictures. And one of them, she was in, well, let me tell you the incident first. So, I was driving in the car with my ex's father. I don't remember where we were going, what we were doing. I got hit with this wave of just sadness. Never felt anything like it before. I felt lost. I felt like there was somebody nearby that I needed to find, that I needed to be with. I felt like a weird, like, for lack of a better word, I felt like I was... Somebody I loved was nearby, but I didn't know who they were. So, let's get back to where we are now. This person was sending me different pictures of the, you know, their life and growing up and them. And one picture was when they got to visit New York City. I'm like, oh, when was this? And she told me the date. And it was pretty much dead on for when I hit, got hit with that wave. And then... She mentioned something about soulmates. And I'm like, I don't believe in soulmates. So anyway, I started researching and reading about what soulmates are. And there's different types. There's the ones that you're destined to be with. And you'll find each other and be together forever. There's ones that you're supposed to meet. And basically for something to happen. One of you will help the other one through something. And then you separate again. There was other weird stuff where I'd go to bed, try to go to bed, and I'd get this overwhelming feeling that something was wrong. So I would um, either message or call the person, and they'd be crying. And it didn't make sense. Why do I know you're sad? You're 10,000 miles away. So you can take that how you want. It just seems odd that things matched up so much. And in the end, it didn't work out. So maybe it was like we were brought together to help each other through something. And that ended a little over a year ago now. Um, so now I just sit and wait and hope somebody finds me because I don't like the idea of looking. <laughs> so, but the thing is, when that happened, it also kind of put a light at the end of my tunnel. I saw, you know, I was already feeling better, but that just kind of put a light. I'm like, things can be a lot better. I know things can be a lot better now. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I've never been able to see that before. I do have hard days. I do have some very hard days. I do worry on those hard days that I might slip back into depression or anxiety because you never forget that feeling of it. It never goes away. Um, there's a quote by, I believe, 
Um, what's his name? Nietzsche? Is that? Yeah. There's a quote by Nietzsche that says, when you gaze long into the abyss, the abyss also gazes into you. Meaning, when you stare into darkness, the darkness looks back and it's kind of, it leaves a mark. So let's just say that the depression has left scars. The, I'm sure they're never going to go away. Um, but the, the point of this whole story is I've been through a lot. And I'm not saying anything I've been through is worse than other people or less than other people. It's just what I went through, what I had to survive, what I barely survived. And going through all that, I never, ever, ever believed there was light at the end of the tunnel. I never believed things could ever get better. You know, 25, over 25 years of bipolar is a lot. It is a lot for anyone. But I think this is maybe why people told me I should write an autobiography. Multiple people kept saying it, like, nobody cares about my life. Like, yeah, but you have a story. You've been through shit. There's a good ending. You know, you can maybe inspire someone. Or help someone if they can listen to it. Or read it as what they imply. But I went with a podcast instead because it's easier. So. I want to tell you. I know you've. If you're suffering. I know you've heard this. From people over and over and over. That it gets better. But when you're in there. It doesn't get better. And you never see it get better. You can't even comprehend the idea of a light at the end of the tunnel. But I just want to tell you that it does. It really, really does. It may not be quick. It may take a while. But it actually does. And uh, now when I talk to people, I'm pretty much an open book about everything. And the reason for that is I had this thing with my anxiety called intrusive thoughts if you don't know what they are they suck so an intrusive thought it will take something i actually thought i was going to snap you know you always hear about people oh they were such a nice quiet person and they snapped and killed everybody i worried about that because of these intrusive thoughts and my therapist would tell me to knock it off he's like chris you are the least aggressive person i've ever seen people don't <laughs> People don't snap. Well, she said people do snap, but they already have it in them. You can't snap and go against the core of who you are, which they helped me a lot. It calmed me down quite a bit. But I still have these intrusive thoughts. If you don't know what intrusive thoughts are, if you have severe anxiety and you man and you you if you're unfortunate and unlucky enough to get the intrusive thoughts, what they are is you'll get thoughts that don't feel like your own. Um, like you'll think about someone you care about 
and then the thoughts will turn to you hurting them in bad or violent violent ways. And it's not who you are. It freaks you the hell out. And that's the point of it. Anxiety takes your fears and uses them against you in the worst way possible. I went on to a forum for people with anxiety and someone explained intrusive thoughts. And I'm like, holy shit, it's not just me. I thought I was going nuts. There's like hundreds and hundreds of people on here that have the exact same thing. And I will give you the advice that they had on the forum. One person said, don't fight the thoughts. It makes it worse. Picture it. If it turns into one of the violent ones, picture it in detail. Strip the sound out if there's sound. If there's no sound, you're adding sound. What you're going to do is say you're picturing you going up to one of your friends or a family member and you're punching them. Or worse, put Three Stooges noises in there. Put cartoon noises in there. And do it every single time you get a bad thought and it takes the power away from the thoughts and they stop. And that's how anxiety works. you got to take the power away from it. It's not easy. As you can see from my life story, a lot of stuff is not easy. But if you don't give up, you keep fighting, you'll make it. And that brings us to the end of the story. That brings us to now. So, a friend of mine was in a hardcore band in New York. He writes amazing lyrics. And I asked his permission to use some of his lyrics to end the podcast. And it's not going to really fit with the theme of things being better. But it's going to fit with the theme of how I feel. Having dealt with a depression, having the scars from it. And what it feels like to be in it. So. On that note. I would like to say. um, If you're struggling. And this story helps you. um, I don't know what to say there. I can't say thank you. Um, I hope maybe it helps you. I hope you can see that someone else has gone through the same shit and it gets better. Hopefully it'll help inspire you to keep fighting. You know, you know, don't give up. It's not worth giving up. Things get better. I don't sound like it now because I'm really emotional because I'm telling you everything. But I'm, I'm actually happy right now, I promise. Even though I don't sound it, at this moment I am happy. Um. I can't, I keep saying over and over, it it does get better. I don't know why I keep saying it. I guess I can't say it enough. Just keep fighting. Don't give up. If you have friends and family that love you, that are accepting of your condition, let them help you. I didn't have that. I had friends. I had friends that helped. I'm not going to lie. I had amazing friends who helped, even if it was just sitting with me. Not the family aspect of it, though. To this day, I don't know where my mother is. Don't talk to her. 
don't talk to my brother. I cut them both out of my life. That side of the family I told you I don't talk to, it's because my cousin was hanging out with them once at a party, and they were referring to me as the crazy one of the family. So they got cut out of my life. So it's me, my daughter, my friends, my father and stepmother, and my sisters. That's my family. My friends I consider my closest family. So just don't give up. It's not worth giving up. It's worth fighting. And on that note, thank you for listening. I hope maybe it's helped some people. I hope it maybe opened some eyes. I'm not going to say, you know, I'm not going to put anybody else down and say, well, I went through all this. No, I, mean, I know there's people out there that have gone through way worse than me. This is just my life. This is the stuff that affected me. I can't relate to worse or less. So thank you for listening. If you know somebody who's struggling and you think this might help, you know, let them know. Or just sit with them. Don't give up on them because they need you. So thank you for listening. And to end this, I'm going to give you the quote from a song. And goodbye. And to quote the lyrics, I am no one. I have no face. In this darkness, I am God. <laughs>